Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been desperate? Yeah. You had to have that job. Or you had to have that guy. Or you had to have that girl. Or you found yourself in trouble and somehow, someway, you had to get out. You ever found yourself desperate? How many of you ever had kidney stones? Yeah, desperate, right? You think you're going to die. When they don't go away, you hope you're going to die. Today, we're going to look at a man and a woman from completely different spectrums of life. But they had one thing in common. They were desperate. Go to Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, a man of substance. He was probably wealthy, powerful, and religiously prominent. He represented the elite of society, especially the religious world. But this day, Jairus was troubled. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. His decision to come to Jesus could not have been an easy one. In fact, he probably wouldn't have come if it was simply for himself. But this was for his precious daughter. I totally get it. I have one child One daughter, a 16-year-old now, but I would do anything if I knew that she were about to die and somehow, some way, I could get help for her. Well, Jairus has one daughter, and he is desperate. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what anybody else says. He doesn't care how much he's going to have to humble himself. He is going to Jesus because he hopes that Jesus can heal his daughter before she dies. Here, the daughter of Jairus was in a desperate situation. And Jairus did not send his wife. He didn't send a committee. He didn't send a friend. As the spiritual leader of his household, Jairus sought out the Lord himself. Guys, there's a lesson for us in that. When it comes to pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus, too many of us men are leaving it to someone else. Guys, God has called you. God has commissioned you to be the spiritual leader of your homes. And wives partner with you. But don't you dare just leave that off with your wife. I'll leave religion. I'll leave Jesus, I'll leave church, I'll leave God to the wife and the kids, and that's all right if they go, but I'm not really going to take leadership myself. Listen, God has called and commissioned you guys to be spiritual leaders in your home. Don't farm that out to somebody else. Your wife partners with you, but you've got to be a leader in your home. Luke tells us, that Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus and pleaded. Notice both his desperation 
and his humility. Verse 41 continues. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him. He pleaded with him to come to his house. Question, when is the last time you pleaded with God for anything? God, I need you. God, help. God, I'm in a desperate situation here. I need you and I need you to come now. Verse 41 continues. And falling at Jesus' feet, Jairus implored Jesus. He pleaded with him. He begged Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Can't you just see his passion? Jesus, my daughter is about to die. And I will get down on my knees and I will beg you. I will plead with you. I will do anything necessary, but please come and please come now. Jairus doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what anybody else says. There were probably some Pharisees somewhere in the area and they saw what Jairus was doing and they thought, you are a synagogue leader. Have some decorum about you. Why in the world are you bowing down to him? But Jairus does not care. He doesn't care what the Pharisees think. He doesn't care what the other people in the synagogue thinks. Jairus is desperate. And he will do anything possible in order to get Jesus to come to his house. Because he feels like if Jesus will come, my daughter can be healed. Jairus will go to any lengths necessary. In order to get some help for his only girl. When you're desperate, you're not worried about convenience. You're not worried about what other other people are thinking. You're not worried what other people are saying. You are desperate. And you'll do anything in order to get your need met. A lot of people are desperate. They're desperate about the wrong things. Oh God, if I could just... Make a lot more money. If I could just be more popular. If I could just get her to like me. If I could just get him to like me. If I could, you fill in the blank for you. Listen, all of those things might be good. But they ought not be your priority. Your priority above every single priority in life must be Jesus Christ above everything else. You see, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet he loses, he forfeits his own soul? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about a man who had some barns, and he filled those barns up. He was doing well financially, but it wasn't enough. I got to have more. I got to have a lot more. And so he tears down those barns and builds more and bigger barns because he has got to have more stuff. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek Jesus above everything else. A lot of people are desperate about some of the right things, like peace and joy and life, but they're going about it the wrong way. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, The thief, that's the devil, has come to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Say life with me. Life and have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is offering life today. 
But he's not saying you'll only have life if you get more stuff. You'll only have life if you have more money in the bank. You'll only have life if you've got a million-dollar retirement. Jesus says, no, you find your life. You find your fulfillment in me. He wants to work in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit says, Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus Christ is a lot more interested in building his character inside of you than simply providing for your convenience. And he's offering life today. But if you want the life and you receive Christ, let him be the center of your life. In the middle of Jairus' desperation, he experiences a delay. Verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. If Jairus represents the up and out, this woman represents the down and out. Jairus was a leading Jewish man. She was an anonymous Jewish woman. He was a synagogue leader. Her affliction rendered her unclean, which meant she could not even attend worship. He was respected. She was rejected. He is honored. She is ashamed. Jairus came pleading for his daughter. She came pleading for herself. The girl had apparently been healthy for 12 years and was about to die. The woman had been ill for 12 years, and she is about to be made whole. Jairus, he was public, all knew it. The woman's name was private. Only Jesus understood that both Jairus and the woman trusted Christ, and he met their needs. This unnamed woman, like Jairus, is desperate. She's been suffering for 12 years. She's been under the care of many doctors. She spent all of her money. But instead of getting better, she's getting worse. She's at her wit's end. You ever been there? God, I tried everything. I've been everywhere. I've been to the doctors. I've been to psychiatrists. I've been to every single job opportunity website, but I can't find a job, whatever it is for you. Have you ever been desperate? Jairus is desperate. I got good news for you. You serve a God operation. He loves you so much. He came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin that you might have life, eternal life with him forever. And you might have guidance and power for living moment by moment and day by day, even now. He wants to guide you. He wants to empower you. No, he does not say, follow me and you'll be wealthy. He does not say, follow me, and every single day you'll be healthy. He does not say, follow me, and you won't have any problems. But what he does say, if you'll follow me, I'll be with you, and I'll give you what you need for whatever you're going through because I am God, and because I love you, and because I created you, and I know what I'm doing, you stay in there with me and trust in me. Karen Peck said it like this. God likes to work when your back's to the wall. When you're facing the balance and you're just about to fall, there'll be no mistake when he blesses and heals. God likes to work when nothing else will. 
Listen, you serve the God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. And he wants to guide you exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. And he wants to guide you and empower you moment by moment and day by day as your eyes are upon him and your trust is in him. Verse 44. She, that's this woman in desperation, came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. Mark's gospel gives us more information about her desperation and faith. When she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. This woman is desperate. She's tried all the doctors. Her health is gone. Her money is gone. If she had a husband, he's probably gone. She's got nowhere else to turn. But she's got this measure of faith. Can you imagine what it would have been like on that day? There is a massive crowd surrounding Jesus. You ever been in a big crowd? I mean, people are just wall to wall. Maybe you're at Disney World or maybe you are at some fair, you are at some concert and people are just pressed in everywhere and they all want to see Jesus. They all want to get close to Jesus. And this woman, she could have said, there's no way I can get to Jesus. There's too many people. He doesn't care about me. I just don't think I'll go. But she's desperate. And because she's desperate, she finds her way through the crowd, probably bumping into some people, trying to get people to move, trying to go against the flow. She is doing anything, everything she can to try to get to Jesus. And some of the people around her probably didn't like it very much. They probably didn't like being around her. And they probably didn't like her trying to get in front of them. But she doesn't care. Why? Because she's desperate. Somehow, some way, I've got to get to Jesus. And if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I can be made well. Have you ever been desperate? You lost your job, or you lost your health, or you lost a member of your family, or you lost your home. Have you ever been desperate? I know I have. It's a terrible feeling. This woman is desperate, and she does the only thing she knows to do. She reaches out to Jesus. Let me encourage you today. Whatever your situation, whatever your problem, whatever your need is, you reach out to Jesus Christ today. He is reaching out to you. He's initiating a relationship with you, and he's calling you to come. Reach out to Jesus. He's reaching out to you. When this woman reached out to Jesus immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Can you imagine how she must have felt? For 12 years, she has been suffering. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Remember, she cannot go and worship with God's people because her condition has rendered her unclean. She can't even go in the synagogue. Imagine that you were a member of Northside Baptist Church, but because you had some kind of disease or some kind of physical problem, 
people in church said, you can't come. That was her condition. You can't be around us because the law said, the Old Testament law said, you cannot worship with God's people if you have this condition. You're considered to be unclean. Don't come around us. Can't worship with us. Verse 45. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. How in the world can you tell? Jesus, there's a whole lot of people touching you. What do you mean who touched me? Verse 46. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus is not simply telling this woman that she has been made physically well, by the way. The New Testament language literally says here, your faith has saved you. You see, the greatest miracle that occurred that day was not physical. As amazing as that was, the greatest miracle that occurred that day was Jesus said, your faith has not only made you well, but it saved you. Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, you now have life, eternal life. Listen, the greatest miracle that can happen for you is not to get a physical healing. It's not that you might get an amazing job. It's not that you might live life pain-free. The greatest miracle that can happen for you or anybody else in this room today is that you would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that changes your life, and one day you will be with him forever and ever in heaven. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, I plead with you today. If I thought it would help, I would get down on my knees and I would beg you today. Give your life to Christ today. He loves you. He died for you. He's coming back for you. Give your life to Christ. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle of all. Back to Jairus. If I'm Jairus, I don't mind Jesus helping this woman. That's all wonderful and good. But not today, Jesus. I need you today, Jesus. I need you now. Sometimes we are so busy with our own agendas that we fail to recognize God's. In just a moment, Jairus' concern with the delay is confirmed as Jairus gets the worst news he can imagine. Verse 49. While he was still speaking... Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late, Jairus. If Jesus could have gotten here sooner, then stop and help that woman. Your daughter probably could have been healed. But she's dead now. You can forget it. There's no way Jesus can do anything now. How many have ever had your hopes crushed? Oh, I just knew I was going to get that job. I just knew this relationship was going to work out. I just knew my marriage would be better than this. I just knew my kids were going to be different than that. I just knew. You fill in the blank for you. 
probably every single person in this room, if you've been around for very long, you've had your hopes crushed by something or someone. And if not, get ready because it's probably going to happen one day. Listen, following Jesus does not give you an exemption card from pain. I wish it did. How about you? Sign me up, right? Following Jesus does not mean you're not going to have any more problems. Everybody's going to think you're wonderful. You're going to leave it to be 120 and you're never going to have a headache. You're never going to have an issue. No, following Jesus does not eliminate all of your pain. But following Jesus means you got somebody with you who'll go with you through whatever circumstance you may be facing in your life. I don't know about you. If following Jesus would eliminate all of my problems, I got some circumstances I would have changed already. How about you? But in the middle of whatever you're going through, never forget, our God is a God of hope. There may be days There may be weeks, there may be months, there may be years when you feel like quitting. How many of you ever felt like quitting? I felt like quitting a hundred times. Not but you have to. Guess what? Your God never quits on you. Your God never stops loving you. He never stops reaching out to you. He never stops caring about you. He will be there for you. But too often we get our focus on the circumstances when we ought to have our focus on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. I would encourage you to get your eyes on Jesus Christ today because he's not done with you yet. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you have had Jesus Christ start a work in your life? Probably most of you. If not, today's your day to start. He's not done with you yet. He's still working. It may not look like he's working. It may not feel like he's working, but he's working. He's not done yet. The Bible has a lot to say about hope. Take the book of Psalms alone. Let me read just a few. Psalm 25, 3 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Psalm 25, 5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 42, 11 says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? You ever been downcast? You ever been discouraged? You ever feel like quitting? The psalmist did. He's talking to himself. How many of you ever talk to yourselves? All right, want to get some intelligent conversation? Talk to yourself, right? Then how many of you answer yourself? Yeah, you can always be right that way, okay. Well, the psalmist is talking to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Then he gives an answer. He says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's like the psalmist grabs himself by the nap of the neck and says, Self, we're not going there. We're not living that way. We're not going to dwell down here in all the discouragement of the circumstances. We're going to live by faith in Jesus Christ. 
I would challenge you today to choose to live that way by faith, not in the circumstances, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Back to Luke chapter 5. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, Jairus. Only believe, and she will be made well. Isn't that great advice? Do not fear. Just believe. Okay? I got this, Jairus. How many of you ever been driving down the road? There's a construction zone area, and there's a sign that says, Men at work. You ever seen that? They're probably changing them now to have people at work or men and women at work or whatever to be more politically correct. But you've seen the signs, right? Well, I think every Christian ought to remember there's a sign over your life that says God at work. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, he is at work inside of you. He is at work in the circumstances around you. It may not look like he is. It may not feel like he is. But God is at work. Do you believe that? Say amen. God is at work. And he's not done yet. He didn't stop working when he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. In fact, he sent the Holy Spirit down here so he could be working in the lives of every single follower, every single moment, of every single day. He's at work in your life. He's at work in your family. He's at work in this church. He's at work in this community. He's at work in the world. Experiencing God talks about that. God is at work. He's asking us to join him in his work in this world. And here's Jesus standing at the bedside of this little girl. He says, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe. Four principles. Principle number one, God doesn't always change our circumstances. Oh, I wish he would. Sometimes he changes you. He's a lot more interested in your character than he is in changing your circumstances. Principle number two, God's timing is not our timing. I wish that were too, don't you? God's timing is usually a whole lot slower than my timing. God's plan usually doesn't unfold as quickly as I want it to unfold. God's timing is not your timing. But God's timing is perfect and yours is not. Think about it. What if Jesus would arrive at the house of Jairus while his daughter was just sick and not dead? Yes, he could and I think would have healed her. But they would have missed the greater miracle, right? Now, because Jesus got stopped by this woman along the way, now she's dead. And now Jesus can perform a greater miracle than he would have otherwise. Listen, God's wanting to work some miracles in our lives, but sometimes we get impatient and we try to handle it our own way. If Jesus would have simply healed Jairus' daughter... Maybe Jairus would have thought, well, Jesus is a great miracle worker, but I don't know if he's really God. But when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, I think he's thinking, yes, Jesus, you are truly the only son of God. My faith is in you. And I believe that little girl put her faith in 
Jesus Christ as well. And I believe people all around them, even people who are making fun of them, thought, my, this truly is God. Come in flesh. God's timing is not our timing. It's better than our timing. Principle number three, sometimes you got to ignore the crowd. You follow Jesus, I'll tell you, some people are not going to like it. Some people are going to think you're weird. How many have people who think you're weird? Right? Some people are going to think you're dorky. Some people are going to think you're a nerd. Now, I'm not saying be weird, be dorky, be a nerd just because that's how you are. But if following Jesus causes other people around you to think you're weird or nerdy or dorky or an idiot or whatever, you follow Jesus anyway. Because it's a lot more important what God thinks about you than what other people think about you. Amen? Follow Jesus anyway. You've got to ignore the crowd. You've got to choose faith over fear. Sometimes we give in to the fear. The Bible says walk by faith, not by sight. There's a little boy who was caught in a fire at home and he couldn't get out of the burning house. He climbed up onto the rooftop of the burning home and began to cry for his father. So, Dad, Dad, I need you. I need you. Help. The father looked up at his son from the ground and told him to jump. But the little boy is surrounded by smoke and he says, Dad, I can't see you. Dad says, son, that's okay. I can see you. Go ahead and jump. Sometimes you're not going to be able to see what God is doing. Sometimes you're going to have to take that leap of faith to say, God, I trust in you, even though I can't see how this is going to work out for me, but I'm trusting in you. Got to leap out, step out, jump out in faith. I got good news for you today. God sees you. Whatever your circumstance, your issue, your problem, your need, God sees you and he loves you. Jesus said not even a sparrow falls to the ground without him noticing. He sees you today. Go to verse 51. And when he came to the house, Jesus allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. Listen, not everybody gets to see all the miracles. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more likely you are to see them. I don't know about you, but I want to be close enough to Jesus to see some miracles. Anybody with me? Amen? But I don't want you to see the miracles. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the God of the miracles. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 is one of my two life verses. The Apostle Paul said this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and even the fellowship of his suffering, even being conformed to his death. But more than anything else in this life, more than success, I want to know Jesus Christ, the God of this universe. Verse 52, and all were weeping and mourned. For this little girl, not so much because they were upset, because they were professional mourners. They were paid to do it. Some say that was a requirement in the first century. I did a little research. Did you know there's a funeral home in Dallas, Texas, where you can still hire a professional mourner? 
They even have a price list. I was surprised and humbled to know that their price list included a professional minister, cost $75. I thought, that's pretty normal. But get this, professional mourner, cost $250 per person. 75 bucks for the minister, $250 for the professional mourner. That's a pretty good gig, wouldn't you say? In fact, I did a little math. Terry, if you could do three funerals a day, five days a week, 50 weeks out of the year, you could make $187,000 being a professional mourner in Dallas, Texas. Sign you up. Anybody want to go to Dallas, Texas, boys? That's a pretty good living. Anyway, these mourners here in Mark chapter 5 were probably professionals. I don't know if they were getting paid big sums of money. But they're carrying on quite a commotion, but they don't really care about the girl. Verse 52. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. There were people in Jesus' day who laughed at him. They didn't just laugh at him. One day, they would arrest him. They would mock him. They would spit upon it. They would shove a crown of thorns upon his head. And they would nail him to a cross for the sins of the world. Thank God Jesus was willing to come and suffer for us. He was rejected by men. They were laughing at him. But no one's going to be laughing when Jesus Christ returns. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to come back in glory. Amen? When Jesus Christ returns, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are many in our world who will laugh at you if you follow Jesus today. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're dorky. They're going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you're a fool. But one of these days, they're not going to be laughing. Because Jesus Christ will return. And when he returns, he will return in glory. And everyone's going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Go to verse 54. We're just about done. But taking her by the hand, Jesus called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. Luke doesn't really say, but I got a feeling the parents weren't the only ones who were amazed. I'll bet those professional mourners were shocked. <laughs> right? I'll bet the disciples were amazed. I'll bet every single person who saw that girl walk out of that room completely whole was amazed. They were astonished by what Jesus had done. Can you imagine, here you are at a funeral, right here at Northside Baptist Church, and there's a 12-year-old girl lying in a casket, and in walks this stranger off the street, and he keeps coming toward the casket. He walks over to the casket of this 12-year-old little girl that has just died. He reaches out and touches her and grabs her by the hand and says to her, arise. And she gets up out of that casket and she walks out across the floor, 
out of the building and leaves. Wouldn't that be amazing? I got to confess, I've never been to a funeral where somebody was risen from the dead. But I have seen some lives that Jesus Christ has changed. People who are spiritually dead. People who are emotionally dead. People who had given up on life itself. And Jesus Christ brought them back to life again. He's still doing it. He's calling you today to give your life to him. Whatever your circumstance, your problem, your issue, your need, God is bigger than that. And he loves you. And he came for you. That you might have life eternal and abundant. Would you pray with me?